Welcome to Healthy Brain, Happy Body, a podcast from the Northeast Region Biofeedback Society. I'm your host, Dr. Saul Rosenthal. We're talking with some of the speakers coming to the 2022 NRBS conference, where the focus is stress, anxiety, and burnout. In the last episode, we heard from Dr. Mary Jo Sabo about bringing neurofeedback into public schools in Yonkers, New York. Today, we'll hear from her partner, Harry Campbell. Harry has been heavily involved in the neurofeedback and biofeedback community for almost 40 years. Starting as a high school student, he's worked as an equipment distributor, a provider, a trainer, consultant, and speaker to countless clients, students, and professionals. Before becoming such a prominent member of the biofeedback community, Harry had his own school-based encounter with biofeedback. I asked him about it and how he came into the world of applied psychophysiology. Now, you have a very interesting origin story, and I was hoping you could share that with us. Well, uh, it uh, seems to be pretty connected to what we're actually talking about. It's that uh, how I found out about biofeedback was when I was in high school, and Adam Crane visited our, our school. I think it was either a science and technology day or career day, and he had different people from the community showing what they do and talking about it to the uh, classrooms. And he happened to be talking about biofeedback, which I had never heard of. Um, and he had these wooden boxes uh, with wires and he was attaching them to us with sensors and asking us questions like, you know, what's your girlfriend's name? And you see the needle go up and the sound go off. And, you know, it was really pretty uh, interesting to me at least though, because I was always uh, even that to, at that early time into things related to science and related to tech. You know, I had a Commodore 64 when they came out, you know, um, and so it was a way that sort of combined science uh, biology types of things and technology and to have a piece of equipment that was able to detect changes in, in what I was thinking was just seemed really interesting to me. And I just wanted to find out more, uh, fast forward. I ended up working with, uh, with Adam for over 20 some years, uh, in his biofeedback instrument company. And here I am. So I ended up, uh, buying the company from him when he decided he wanted to um, start a foundation and, and do other things. So I've been involved in biofeedback ever since. Your interest in technology and the, the, how, how it integrates with biology and, and science. Um, one of the things that really strikes me, and I've been doing this for 25, 30 years now, um, that really strikes me is how easy technology is now for regular people for the public to get a hold of. And obviously we've got these wearables and this home equipment. I mean, you've, you've sort of had a, this overview uh, of, the, of the field for a long time through a lot of technology changes. What, where do you see it going? What, what, what do you think about all of this new tech and, and how easy it is now to create equipment and to get it in the hands of the users? It, it's, it's um, first of all, I, I think the, the possibilities are, are huge in terms of, of getting it to more people. One of the things I've found over the years that I've been in, involved in, in decades <laughs> that I've been involved in it, is how few people seem to be aware of it. It's been around since, you know, when I learned about it, I thought it was relatively new, but it had been around since, you know, 
60s or whatever, maybe even earlier than that in some form. But even people in the medical fields that I, I talk to and they, you know, some of them have gray hair and they're, they're amazed to find out what uh, some of the technology that's available. So for it to be available in, in, in ways to more people, I think is great. The challenge I think though is how technology is used and, and the, the, the actually um, making it practical. So it's, it's just like, you know, you, we've got gym equipment <laughs> in our homes that, that sits there and acts as a hanger sometimes. Um, and so someone might get a wearable or something and just not do anything with it. So it's, it's giving information and it's how we use the information, how we value the information, I think is much more important than the technology itself. So the technology has gotten a lot easier to use maybe, but uh, human motivation perhaps has not changed as quickly right. as our technology right. has. Right. Uh, I would like love to hear also uh, about the Yonkers project. And, and that's, we, we all have heard of that, a, a lot of us professionals, but I wonder if you could talk about it uh, to maybe some of the parents or educators who may not be familiar with, with the project itself. Sure. So I, I, I know, um, you know, Dr. Sabo, Mary Jo, a friend of mine for many years, has talked about it also. And, and she's got a lot more, you know, a different angle and, and more information than, than I might have on, on some of it. But getting to be involved in that was, was really exciting and to hear about it, uh, you know, even in, in, in the books, in the neurofeedback field, all these years later is, is, is pretty, um, you know, pretty exciting. So it, it it was interesting how it came about because it, it had to do with a, a mother and, and her child getting help and then happening to be a vice principal in, in the school and wanting to bring this help to her kids, the, the rest of her kids, which is all of the students in the school. Mm -hmm. And um, just that energy between her and uh, this was uh, Linda Vergara, that energy between her and Mary Jo and being able to put together a program in a public school, just, you know, with tape and <laughs> cardboard or whatever, and, you know, because it wasn't something that, that was just reg regularly done. Uh, in fact, you know, the, the, it might be argued that that was the first time it was done. And there was a lot of resistance, you know, because, I think a lot of people that work in schools are very nervous <laughs> about many things, you know, being sued, <laughs> like, you know, things like that. Anything happening, of course, nobody wants anything negative to happen to a, a child. And so when they see sensors going on somebody's head and they're hearing about electricity, putting those two things together as though electricity is going into the, these uh, the children's heads, they, which is not the case, of course, uh, they, they become afraid and worried. And, you know, this is a school and why are we doing medical things in the school? So there was all of those kinds of things uh, in terms of resistance. But again, that energy of, of wanting to do something good for the kids sort of overwhelmed that and they were able to piece it together and then finally get more uh, support 
uh, to, to keep the program going for a number of years and also to get more support and, and funding and so on. And over 300 kids got to, to benefit from that. And, and so it was really exciting. Uh, unfortunately, when 9-11 happened, killed funding, not only for the neurofeedback program, but for even sports and music and so on in, in Yonkers. And eventually outcry from the community was able to bring back sports and music, but you know there were already some people that really didn't want the neurofeedback there, so it, it didn't come back. And I think it, but by that time, I think uh, the vice principal who had pushed for it was was no longer working there. She, had, mm. you know, moved on to another position, and that was one of the things that seemed to be really important to have somebody inside fighting for the program. Yeah, so you sort of needed. Uh, a, ch- a champion, I think sure. it's sometimes called. Um, I mean, I think I think you 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 kind of put your finger on it. This works, and there's empirical evidence, and there's there's more subjective evidence from our clients. But it doesn't. It seems like you talk to physicians, and they have no idea what you're talking about, or, or not just physicians, but other people. Um, and I think you know we've been talking a, a lot in an RBS, and I'm on the APB board as well. Just ha- you know, why doesn't everybody know about this already? Since it's so, it can be so successful, and and you know we can, I think there are a lot of uh, legitimate reasons for that. But w- when we think about neurofeedback in the schools and and trying to kind of make the case, w- what are the advantages to doing it in school versus say in an office? Well, I, I think one is you have the kids there. <laughs> you know, they're there. Yeah five days a week, and it just made it relatively convenient for them to just uh, have one period of time during the day where they just went for a session. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and just like many school programs, for instance, even, you know, there are problems with, with um, some kids not getting enough food. Mm-hmm. And so where do they end, end up helping to make sure kids get food is at school. They know they're there. They get get them breakfast and lunch at least, and you know uh, that's taking care of a lot of the day before they get home. And you know maybe at least their their family has to be less concerned about them having uh, the breakfast and and, uh, and lunch, and they get them dinner at home, and it's less of a burden. So having the kids there at school uh, is is a way to get them the, the neurofeedback. In, in neurofeedback, we often want people to, to have two or three sessions a week. Well, to get someone after school <laughs> to a clinician's office three times a week with, you know, sports and other activities going on and homework and this, that, and the other is, is a challenge. And so if they're able to do that as part of their school day, it, it it can help, you know, even with that part of it. So it, it's, um, it, it would be great to, to be able to have more of these programs. There, there was a lot of success to it. Uh, these were kids who had behavioral problems and a lot of them calmed down and were able to kind of pull themselves together. What I'm always struck by is, or, or often struck by in neurofeedback training is the impact that you don't expect. Yes. And I w- would love to hear what you were able to see uh, with these kids, but also the families and the larger communities sure. within which they're living. What were the ripple effects of, of this program? Sure. Well, the, I remember there's one of the, the, uh, the kids in, in the program 
it was Mary Jo used to call him the star of the program, a kid named Muhammad. And he was in, you know, some of the write-ups that were done and all. And, and I, I was, uh, I had a few different roles in the program. One, I was a, a technician for a while. Uh, I, su I supplied and, and uh, did support for, for the, a lot of the equipment. And, uh, and then I was a supervisor of, of some of the technicians. So while I was uh, serving the technician role, I did a session with, with Muhammad and, and uh, asked him nicely not to shake the wire because it affects the readings. And he promptly kicked me in the shin. <laughs> you know, that was early on. And yeah. later on, he, he did. He had a lot of behavior stuff going on and, and you know, some uh, violent tendencies and things like that. And he really, it, it's okay to talk about him because, he, he, you know, his family said that that was fine because they were so happy with, um, you know, how he did in the program. Mm -hmm. uh, but he, he calmed down quite a bit. Uh, family members would talk about how, how he's changed. And, and you would see even sometimes kids talking to other kids, you know, try to help them with their, you know, regulation and, and all. And, and, there's, you know, there's a specific symptom sometimes that 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 uh, we might be working on. But like you, you, you said, there's sometimes just a change in, in sort of a person's way of being is that mm -hmm. they just are able to on the fly, just regulate where they need to be, whether it's emotionally or, or physically and so on. And it, it, it seems to sort of adjust the, the normal functioning that should be there anyway that we don't tend to notice. We, we tend to notice it more when it's not acting the way it should. And, and the neurofeedback or, or, and also biofeedback seems to help people to, to get back to where their system just takes care of itself. So there, there's better general regulation. And you, you said you'd sort of seen some of the kids trying to help regulate other kids around them. It's, right you know, the regulation spreads. So obviously this is a pretty stressful time for, for students I and mean, for everyone, but particularly for students, I think with the pandemic and so many schools kind of went fully remote and then who knows what's happening these days. I think most of them are, are more or less back uh, live, but it's been a very dysregulated couple of years at a, a very important time uh, in, in, in development. What, what can we say to parents now or to teachers? Uh, how, how can they, if they're interested in the Yonkers project or in bringing neurofeedback or biofeedback, uh, in bringing uh, applied psychophysiology into the classroom, what, where might they start? Or, or do you have any kind of um, any advice for them if they wanted to get these programs started in their schools? Well, I would definitely be looking to, to talk, find out who are the people at the schools that might have influence to be able to get the ball rolling mm -hmm. you know whether it's a, a nurse or or a, a guidance counselor or a, you know many of them have social workers um, uh, it could be a teacher you know that that would have at least enough information to understand what we're talking about and and also the sort of access to the people who make decisions to, to influence them. Um, and, you know, just like I, I had uh, the opportunity to, to have biofeedback demonstrated to me at, at a young age in a school setting, I 
done demonstrations at, at many schools at different levels, everything from elementary schools up to universities, just exposing people to what biofeedback and neurofeedback is, because sometimes the, the concept of what it is might sound you know, scary and uh, might seem like something else. But then when you actually see it demonstrated, it's more real, it's more understandable, accessible, and oh, it's not really that scary. And, and so if a person knows someone in the area that could possibly provide that, you know, even demonstrating it to a small group of, of faculty or, or, um, or to the students or, or both uh, might help to get people interested uh, help people to understand it better so at least they know what they're dealing with and it's not this scary medical thing. Uh, we're not <laughs> electrocuting people. We're not drilling holes in their scalp or right, anything right. like that. It makes it more accessible. And I think that might sort of spark the interest. I mean, I, I often think about that had I not seen that demonstration, I would have been doing something else today. Sure. Yeah. Um, and, and so it can have, you know, pretty big effects uh, on, on people. And I, I think, uh, you know, just just exposing people to it. And also another thing I would say is um, I felt like this when, when many people were trying to get neurofeedback into schools and were running into roadblocks that maybe we don't want to start in the school if it's too difficult. Maybe we start somewhere else in the community. You know, maybe an after-school program or, uh, you know, there are most communities have community centers or rec centers and, you know, things like that. And maybe doing programs outside of the school where people who are connected to schools might experience it and take it back to the school. So there, there are different ways of, of, uh, of getting it going, I think. And also, you know, the, the parent groups seem to often be able to get the ear of, of people at the schools that make decisions. So, you know, they, they will go to them for various things that are, are um, related to the, the, the welfare of, of the students. And so if people within those groups are, are educated about neurofeedback and biofeedback, they might also get the ear of the, the, the right people. So it's it's going to be a question of us getting to the right people and kind of demonstrating it. And those people might be in the school. They might be the parents themselves. Do, do you know of any programs where, um, uh, like, maybe not as big as the Yonkers Project, but where there are schools? I know there are some therapeutic schools that are integrating neurofeedback and biofeedback. But I'm wondering if you know about any other programs that are well, up and running. There's actually... I, I am actually working on following up with them now to see where things are because also COVID kind of uh, affected programs. But there's a, a school in in in, uh, in Queens, New York, that that has a, a program. They've got a whole meditation room uh, set up, really nicely decorated. They've got biofeedback instruments and devices and and aromatherapy, all kinds of stuff going there. So it's not a, a replica of, of uh, the Yonkers project, but it's, it's you know, they're, they're doing uh, things that are using biofeedback 
and and uh, they also have neurofeedback. I'm not sure if they're using the neurofeedback in a, a actual program yet, but they they have the equipment there, and they've had uh, a couple of faculty that were trained, and so they're they're working it in, and they're they're looking at using other things like heart rate variability uh, as as ways to work with with uh, some of the students that might have anxious moments and, mm -hmm. and you know not necessarily looking at okay this person has a diagnosed condition uh, but it, because it, we're not really trying to turn it into a, a clinic you know necessarily but they may look at you know if, if a student is upset then you know okay well let's see if we can do some biofeedback with you to help you to, to become more calm, more regulated and so on. So there's that the school there in in, um, in Queens, I think it's uh, John Adams, if I'm not mistaken. There's a few other schools that I know have biofeedback equipment. What level of program they have that, that I'm actually looking into a bit more between now and October so I can report to you a little bit more about what's specifically going on at, at, uh, at, at those schools. And I would also say that in some of the universities that we've worked with, they are putting biofeedback, at least biofeedback, mm -hmm. into some of their counseling centers. So that's another area where, where biofeedback is, is, uh, is used. And there's a, a school that is specifically for special education that I know of where a social worker is, is using biofeedback and they, they actually just got some additional instruments to, uh, to use for some of the other social workers there to use. So it's, it's growing. Uh, there's, there's a, a school in here in Westchester that has a, uh, a class that I would say several times the, the teacher has had me come in. I, I'm trying to remember the name of their, the course it is, but it has to do with science and wellness. And so she has me come in and demonstrate biofeedback and talk about it to the class. And they get things like the stress cards and, you know, stuff like that to sure. uh, look at. And they're, they're thinking about getting some other biofeedback devices to, to use in their class. So, um, so it, it's, it's, it's happening. Yeah. And it may not be on the same level that we might want it to happen, but I think also, starting even with things like stress cards and heart rate variability and can be like a foot in the door to say mm -hmm. this is this is what feedback is this is biofeedback neurofeedback is another form of biofeedback that just happens to deal more directly with the brain and obviously we're in school uh, and we the brain is kind of important in school so it might not be a bad idea to improve the regulation of the students' brains. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, again, it doesn't have to be that there's a disorder. It, you know, it could be for just improving academic performance. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. We don't have to label people ADHD and uh, anxiety and this and that and the other. If I'm a student in school, if I can get from a C average to a B average, that would be a pretty good thing, or a B average to an A average uh, by training my brain, you know, sounds like a good thing to me. Absolutely. Yeah, so I guess it seems like the challenges um, are things like, well, funding, obviously, um, and then having somebody uh, trained who can who can do, do the work in 
that you know keeping that consistent. Right. Uh, I can also imagine, like in, in particularly in the elementary and in uh, middle and high schools, the concern. Well, if they're doing that, are they missing out on a class or something like that? Um, yeah, there's so, always you know going to be those things, and yeah. you know, funding. You know, they seem to find money for what is important to them, and I I haven't really looked into it directly myself because I'm just busy with many other things, but. Yeah. You know, over the past X number of years, there's been even, you know, federal funding and some of it goes down to the states and the counties and so on for many things. And some of it may be things that would be able to be connected to this type of program. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, then it becomes, okay, grant writers or, you know, people who search for these kinds of things that would probably need to be part of a team that would be looking to make this happen. You've been listening to Healthy Brain, Happy Body, a production of the Northeast Region Biofeedback Society. Go to nrbs.org to find out more about the organization, including our trainings, monthly webinars, and yearly conference. I'm your host, Dr. Saul Rosenthal, and our guide today to the healthy brain and happy body was Harry Campbell, who has provided biofeedback and neurofeedback equipment, services, and training to countless consumers and professionals. You can learn more about Harry and about the Northeast Region Biofeedback Society in the show notes. Remember, you can also join us at our annual conference on October 21st and 22nd by registering with the code HAPPYLISTENER for a 25% discount at nrbs.org. Subscribe to this podcast by clicking the subscribe here link in the show notes or wherever you get your podcasts. We really want to hear from you. Be part of this ongoing conversation by contacting us with your thoughts, ideas, and questions at healthybrain at nrbs.org. Leave us reviews as well. It really helps podcasts like this one reach more listeners. Healthy Brain, Happy Body is produced and edited by me. The theme music is Catch It by Coma Media. Be sure to join us on our next episode as we continue to explore the keys to our well-being on healthy brain, happy body.